0: The bottom line for Coastal Electric, and I believe for the other 14 systems that are in this CARES Act, is that it's the right thing to
1: do for our membership. Welcome to Episode 423 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. This is Ryan Mercotillian-McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, Christopher talks with Ron Barnes, President and CEO of Coast Electric Power, an electric cooperative in the Biloxi, Mississippi area, and John Chambers, Partner at Connexon, a consulting agency working with rural electric cooperatives to bring fiber to communities around the country. They talk about how Mississippi went from having laws against electric cooperatives doing broadband to homes as recently as January of 2019, to now having 15 co-ops getting grants from the state to build fiber immediately with CARES Act funding. They talk about how co-ops actually approached the state with a plan and took the lead in organizing to connect rural parts of Mississippi and what that means for digital equity and inclusion since those cooperatives are required to build to all of their customers by law. Now here's Christopher talking with Ron Barnes and John Chambers. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm
2: Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Back with a repeat guest and a a guest who we have not spoken with before. So let me start by introducing Ron Barnes, the President and CEO of Coast Electric Power, a a, a rural electric cooperative in the Biloxi area of Mississippi. Welcome to the show, Ron. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. We're excited to, to talk about your project and, and what's happening in the, the larger Mississippi area, uh, but uh, we also uh, want to introduce John Chambers, a uh, frequent guest talking about rural electric cooperatives and, and all things rural broadband, partner at Connexon, a company that works with local uh, rural cooperatives around the nation, uh, rural electric cooperatives. John, welcome back.
3: Thank you, Christopher. Good to be with you again.
2: And uh, let's start with, um, ask you, Ron, to just tell us a little bit about the uh, Coast Electric Power
0: Glad to. Um, Coast Electric is an electric cooperative serving three counties in South Mississippi. Where, uh, as our name says, right along the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, we've been in business for over 80 years. We serve over 80,000 accounts. And um, we're very excited about getting started with this broadband project.
2: Excellent. And in the, the Biloxi area, I mean, I feel like I've seen different efforts from different levels, including local governments, um, rural economic development agencies over the past even 10, 12 years to try to come up with a regional solution. Uh, Have you been a a part of those conversations or or how does this all fit together?
0: Yeah, we were a part of that uh, initial conversation. and In fact, from that, we ended up putting uh, fiber to all of our uh, substations and our uh, offices. We have six offices here in South Mississippi two in each of the three counties we serve. So we were able to benefit from uh, some of that. And then uh, the broadband provider that came in at the time was called um, Inline. They've since been purchased and they're called Unity now. Um, and they primarily just wanted to serve large accounts. So they served our account and then they had some uh, schools. But really, I don't believe it's taken off to the level that, uh, that it was anticipated uh, back when, and that effort was led by the mayor of Biloxi, uh, Fofo Gillich. So we're very excited to be bringing um, what we believe is a full solution uh, to the members of Coast Electric through this broadband project.
2: Yes, that's what we're, that's what I'm always excited to see when the, when people are actually being served in their homes, the hardest part. And, and I want to talk about uh, one of the, the CARES Act, but I think, um, which is, um, well, you're one of the, the cooperatives that's able to move forward with this funding as a result of the pandemic. But let me start by asking John to just give us a, a bird's eye view of what's happening in Mississippi, maybe starting with uh, the change in the laws last year. What's the background on Mississippi?
3: To get from there to here has required a lot of steps, a lot of effort by a lot of folks in state government and uh, in industry as well, people like Ron. Up until January of last year, electric co-ops in the state of Mississippi were not permitted to get into the broadband business at all. They weren't permitted to engage in activities beyond uh, the provision of electric services to their members. Uh, And so led by... Um, they're statewide on uh, a fellow named Mike Callahan, uh, assisted by a very active public service commissioner uh, named Brandon Presley, who I think you might know, Chris, um, who's now the president of NARUC. And by the, the Speaker of the House, uh, Mississippi passed a law last year to allow co-ops to provide broadband service. There were certain conditions of that, they had to, if they were going to get into the business, they had to provide service to all of their members, which is a, a kind of a no cherry-picking provision. One in which I think many types of companies would would uh, hesitate over, chafe out a little bit, but it is natural for co-ops.
2: I cannot imagine AT and accepting that. You can imagine them spending every last dollar in their lobbying budget to make sure that was not a requirement extended to them.
3: Right. It, it is it is the nature of electric co-ops, not just to provide service to all of their members, but to provide the same level of service, the same high quality service at the same price. So so that was a sleeves from their vest kind of a of an agreed, agreed provision. Um, I, I think, though, that the, the important point of all of this is there are 25 electric co-ops in the state of Mississippi, none of whom were permitted to get into this business up until last year. And this year, there are somewhere between 15 and 20 electric co-ops actively constructing, operating fiber to the home networks to their members, including, and this gets to the CARES Act, including 15 of the 25 who applied for and received funds or are receiving funds from This other piece of legislation passed by the legislature, which took some CARES Act money that they had been provided, made it available to those who would build world-class fiber-to-the-home networks. Fifteen of the 25 electric co-ops in the state stepped up, said they would take the funding in order to build in a very short time frame, because under the CARES Act, you have to spend your money by the end of the year.
2: And. The connections have to have been made, too, I believe. And we'll talk more about this in a, right. in a few minutes.
3: So within this short period of time of just being permitted to get into the business, I'd say at the time Ron, Ron would have a better handle on this. I'd say there was wide skepticism that any more than may but, but a few co-ops would, would even take this challenge on in a state that has been one of the most poorly served states when it comes to broadband in the country, not for lack of federal funds. The federal government has spent five, $600 million in the state of Mississippi for rural broadband in the last five years alone. As poorly served as it is, I said this the other day, I'll continue to say it. If you want to see the future of rural broadband, if you want to see the future of broadband period, look to Mississippi. Look to what's going on in Mississippi today, because CEOs like Ron and his, his colleagues across the state stepped up to this very real challenge in the midst of a pandemic to build networks in a rapid fashion, short period of time, leveraging some of the state money, federal money that, that was provided to the state and their own money in order to do what they have traditionally done, done for over 80 years, served their members. The state of Mississippi, which was the first, so the first place in the country where electric co-ops were formed and started to build electric networks, um, you see the same thing repeating itself now over 80 years later, where not yet all, but I expect all of the co-ops will within the next few years Build or work with others to build, own, um, operate fiber networks to all of their members. It is, it is a, a phenomenon, and it's one that I think the rest of the country should, should pay attention to.
2: I think calling it remarkable is, is significantly underplaying it just to see this kind of growth. Um, Ron, let me ask you to just take us back if you can remember all the way to the before times of the pandemic, because I, I feel like I'd like to get a sense of, of what your plans were then. So then we can then talk about how things may have changed a little bit and how you made yourself ready to take advantage of the CARES Act. Uh, but, but what were you doing in, say, like February in terms of your your planning for Fiber to the Home?
0: We started out, uh, this bill was passed in early January 2019. Being an electric uh, provider, we really didn't know much about the broadband business. So we really set about spending most of the following year getting ourselves ready and educated about the broadband networks and uh, trying to find a good partner, which we found in Connexon. Right before the uh, pandemic started, we had just started bringing our board of directors. We have a non-member board of directors, three members from each of our three counties. We had just started bringing them into understanding what we had learned on broadband. Our goal all along was to have our project started in January of 2021. And then when we uh, found out that there potentially could be monies available through the CARES Act, uh, we basically moved all of our plans up and got into I hate to use this because it's a bad pun, but we started moving at light speed Hmm. uh, because we think that's what we needed to to be able to get this done. Um, I can tell you it's been a great challenge, but we feel like we're up to the task of meeting that. We also, Christopher, had always um, planned to do our most rural areas first. That's maybe not the smartest business plan, but it's the area that needs it most. And we felt like that we would have the highest take rate there and also meet the need quicker. Uh, we also believe that um, broadband in the most rural areas will be an incredible enhancement to economic development in those areas, as well as what we learned from the pandemic, uh, the ability to offer distance learning and telemedicine.
2: Let me ask uh, about your territory. Just, um, I, I think, first of all, I, I would salute you for building in the areas of the greatest need first, because a lot of times we do see people delaying that and that takes another two or three years then before the people that desperately need it the most have no options, get it. Are you going to be building then in areas uh, to connect all your members? Do some of them already have cable networks and other higher speed forms of, of internet access?
0: Yeah. If you look across our, our entire three County service area, uh, there's some level of internet to about 70% of the residents. But those 30 percent that are either underserved or unserved are really, truly underserved or unserved. So, yeah, we we really always felt like that it was better to go to areas that people needed it more to
2: begin with. Now, John, I wonder if you can walk us through how this CARES Act program works um, for a person who I think has only ever heard of the CARES Act. Uh, You mentioned already that uh, money has to be spent by the end of the year, and I believe the connections have to be turned on at that time as well. Um, But how is this program structured?
3: Several months ago, uh, many states looked to the funding they were receiving through the CARES Act to see if they could use it for for broadband. I, I won't get the specific language of the CARES Act right, but it's something close to, you could use the funds if you were going to increase the capacity of broadband services to meet the needs of um, the, the the pandemic, the healthcare crisis that we were in. Um, and that that more broadly is viewed as, could what you built be used for telemedicine? Could it be used for um, uh, schooling at home? For um, could it be used for people to be able to work at home? All aspects of broadband services that that assist in addressing the you know the crisis that the country is in. So there there are states that that attempted to structure. A spending program using the CARES Act money. Uh, New Hampshire has a program. Oregon has a program. I just heard today of an Arkansas program. Um, Alabama attempted something. Vermont tried something and then stopped. None really did what Mississippi did, which is the legislature, the lieutenant governor got together and they got together with different players in the telecommunications industry. There was no there was no restriction at the outset to electric co-ops. But the electric co-ops, once again, led by Ron, led by other CEOs in the state and by the statewide, made a proposal to the legislature, made a proposal to the governor, the lieutenant governor, the legislature, the speaker of the house, all of it. And the proposal was, we'll put up half the money. If you put up half the money, we will build gigabit cap- capable networks. Ultimately, I think the legislation says they have to be 100 megabit per second symmetrical up and down. Um, and we will do so this year. The, the co-ops went further. They presented uh, plans, network designs, uh, budgets, um, uh, timetables. They presented all of this in anticipation that the legislature would take something up. And so ultimately, um, what, this, what the co-ops presented was persuasive, And so the legislature passed a a law which takes $75 million of their CARES Act funding, apportioned 65 million to electric co-ops through an application process, and then another 10 million to everyone else who would want to do something similar. Uh, And then the applications began, 15 of the electric co-ops submitted applications, um, they were all funded. They were oversubscribed, so everybody got took a little bit of a haircut. With the $10 million, the applications which were submitted to the Public Utilities Commission, I think in total there was $1.5 million worth of applications for that $10 million. So the funding, this is very recent. In the last couple of weeks, the applications were um, reviewed, and the announcements were made, and then everybody was given... You know, you've got five months now to build (laughs) networks. I think we uh, met in um, Southern Mississippi the week before last with, with Ron and with uh, another co-op that also had won funds. And we had been planning on this for some time. So we, we've begun to execute those plans. We have construction crews on the ground already. Um, We're, we're building, we aim to meet the tight timetable, which is to say, in the, overall, the Mississippi co-ops are going to build some 4,000 miles of fiber in the next five months for an amount of money that is equal to what the FCC is going to give to the telecommunications industry in Mississippi to offer 10 megabits per second. So, With, with about the same amount of money, the Mississippi co-ops are going to build infrastructure, build fiber networks about the same amount of money as is being spent currently by the federal government in the state, but going to other providers, not to build anything, but just to continue to provide 10 megabits per second down, one meg up. And I would say that those, some of those monies are being provided in the same areas where the Mississippi co-ops are going to receive funds. So you and I have had a lot of talks about, you know, overbuilding. You know, one of my lines, if you're going to pave a dirt road, the, you're not overbuilding. You are just building. So um, that's what the Mississippi co-ops are doing. They're going to build networks in five months to make service available, probably to close to 100,000 rural Mississippians who have no access to speak of today. It, it's, it, it is remarkable in many respects, not the least of which the speed and, and, the, and how the co-ops have embraced the challenge
2: yes it is is very bold and and I'm curious ron um one one question that that pops into my head about that is prior to the law being changed in twenty nineteen uh more than eighteen months ago now was was this something that was envisioned by you i mean did you have a sense that there was a real pent up demand or has has the mindset of the cooperative managers and boards changed significantly over the past eighteen months
0: well, maybe a little bit of both. Um, there was certainly pent-up demand. We knew that, but we also knew that we weren't allowed to be in the business. So we we began talking really early in uh, twenty well about midway through twenty eighteen about how we could get this law changed. Never believing that we could get it done by January of twenty nineteen, <laughs> but it just goes to show if you've got a, if there's a will, there's a way. Once we got that done, then. the the mindset of some of the managers started to change from we'll never do this to, well, maybe we could do this. I believe that as we have worked with, uh, you know, we've done our feasibility studies. We've worked with great partners for us like Connexon, What we found was that uh, this is doable. Now I I wouldn't recommend uh, doing the rest of our system at the pace we're doing it now (laughs) to meet the CARES Act But it certainly shows that if you put your mindset to we're going to get this done for our membership, it can be done. And and really the bottom line for Coastal Electric, and I believe for the other 14 systems that are in this CARES Act, is that it's the right thing to do for our membership. We are designed to serve our communities. And this is what the community needs and what what the community was asking for. So we found a way.
2: Did you have people that were uh, residents and businesses that were coming to you and and telling you that you needed to solve this problem? Um, Or was it something that that you and other on the board just recognized needed to happen?
0: Pretty much. We just recognized it needed to happen. We would occasionally hear either from our own employees or from other people in the community uh, about how much um, uh, real true high-speed broadband was needed in rural communities. But since we weren't able to solve that problem, most people weren't coming to us to solve it. I mean, I heard a lot of, you know, uh, can we get incumbent providers to solve the problem? But it was also very clear that, um, that they just weren't interested in going into the most rural areas. So that's when uh, we started to think, well, maybe this is something that we should take up and, and take that mantle up and do it ourselves.
2: Now, earlier, you mentioned telehealth and remote education. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, you're already managing at breakneck speed how to deploy the network. Um, Are you um, doing anything above and beyond to try to help uh, telehealth applications take root or these remote education? Or are you expecting that uh, people are going to figure that out um, while you're just focusing on the infrastructure?
0: Well, I would say it's twofold. Uh, One thing we're doing, since I told you we have fiber serving our substations and offices now, we're going to tap that. In fact, we're doing it this week with ConnectSign's help uh, and also with, um, with Unity's help. Uh, we are actually going to put out some hotspots in the community that we're going to be serving uh, in this CARES Act grant area to be able to help people immediately get service until we can get the, the system built out to them. The other thing that, uh, that we're going to do is we've got a, a good staff of both community development and marketing folks that are going to be working with people in their communities, trying to make them understand how they can use this technology when it becomes available. A lot of these people have never really had internet service. They don't know what they're missing. So we felt it was very important for us to be able to offer that service, whether it's um, how to access through a, uh, an Apple TV service. A Roku, um, how to get on and do uh, downloads and uploads, just some basic information that we take for granted because we've been using uh, broadband services for a long time now. There's a lot of people in these rural areas that have just never had access to it other than what they use on their telephone.
2: It it seems like maybe going back to the very early days, 80 years ago, when um, you had people that were out teaching people how to use toasters and refrigerators and things like that.
0: Exactly right. Yeah. You know, back in the early days, we sold appliances. Um, You know, we don't sell appliances anymore, but back in the early days of the cooperative, you needed to do that to teach people how to use, uh, you know, the products that would consume your electricity. So that's exactly our plan. I'm glad you asked that question because uh, we've got a a very good plan already lined up. And, you know, what we found is that the community is begging for this help. They're begging for uh, both the service and also how can we help them to utilize it best, and we're happy to do that. We feel like it's our job.
2: Uh, I feel like you are the most exposed to weather potential delays. I, I have to assume your entire staff is is praying for a, a quiet season in the Gulf with uh, with the hurricanes. <laughs> yes, every <laughs> in year. particular. Um, is is that something that you feel like you'll be able to manage if there is um, you know significant weather disruption?
0: Yeah, you know, um, a lot of times fiber doesn't go out even when a pole goes down. And it's not until someone brings a bulldozer in or they, uh, you know, bring a chainsaw in and cut it that you lose fiber connection. Um, You know, we've certainly contemplated that. It's something that uh, we realize that we are very exposed to, but uh, you know, we were ground zero for hurricane Katrina. Uh, We had, uh, you know, 10,000 poles on the ground. So we understand how to get those back up and really we'll put the fiber back up right along with the electric system because, this fiber network that we're building is, is really for our internal uses um, as well as to offer broadband to the community.
3: Right. And actually that Chris, you've got right. me knocking on wood all over the place. Yeah. We're into <laughs> hurricane season. We got to yeah. build a lot of miles. Like we'll, we'll have crews in there and, and they'll build in all kinds of weather. Um, in the past, when we built during hurricane season, um, you know, we'll, we'll assist the co-ops in restoring not not so much um we don't have electric linemen but we'll help uh where we can uh replace poles help restore electricity and then and then get on with the job there, there will be some disruptions because of weather there always are um, but we you know we've got a schedule to keep so let's hope the weather uh, also cooperates
2: So, John, let me ask you, as someone who's been doing this for so long, and and I'm I'm just going to go ahead and guess you're not planning on sleeping between now and sometime after the RDOF checks are being sent out. Um, What what have I missed? What should we talk about in the last couple of minutes that's that's special about this story?
3: Since you're oriented towards self-help, towards communities helping themselves, um, you know, I've I've maintained since back in the days when I was at the FCC that electric co-ops... Are the purest expression of of a community coming together to solve an infrastructure problem. That's what this is, a lack of infrastructure. Uh, I think that um, what you see going on in Mississippi uh, can take root across the country. That if the government gets one part right, and that isn't the amount of money, mainly what the government has to get right is they have to allow local communities to make decisions about what kind of infrastructure they want base some things on consumer choices, allow if, if the government won't set the highest standard for the nation, you know, that was always my, my thing when I was at the FCC and since, Mm
2: -hmm. that if
3: the government were to set out fiber to the home gigabit, two gigabit, 10 gigabit per second service, if they were to set out high standards, They'd get the rest of it right. The other way to look at it is recognize what communities sort of vote for with their own dollars, vote for with their pocketbook, vote for it by their choices in the marketplace. Let electric co-ops do this, and electric co-ops will build the right kinds of networks because they are, again, they are the expression of their community. They are governed democratically by a board. Ron reports to a board that is drawn from his community. They'll make the right decisions. Um, It does take a little bit of funding, but that's, I guess, the main point here. This isn't, how much did you get, Ron? Four million?
0: Uh, Six million.
3: Six, okay.
0: Or a $15.3 million project.
3: Right. So the government's going to put up a little bit of money. It's important, and I'm not minimizing that at all, but it's putting up, Six million dollars in coast electric system, which is then triggering a large scale infrastructure build um, in a short period of time because the lead is being taken by the co ops, not by somebody sitting on you know an office building in twelfth in washington d c
2: well I, I think there's a lot that I would um, like to expand upon, but in the the limited time that we have, one of the things that I know john you Um, often make the point of with with me as well, is that um, this is money that's being spent also to never have to be spent again. At least it's not conceivable that you will need more money to build a better broadband connection to these folks from government. And so that is, is one of the parts that I, I like the best about this approach. But Ron, the part that I'm, I'm really just heartened by is, is that this wasn't something where the state, it feels like dangled money in front of you. This seems like something in which you and the other co-op leaders recognize that you could come to the state and offer them a, a good deal. And that's something we really haven't seen elsewhere. I'm curious if you can just tell us a little bit about, you know, was your cooperative association already, particularly collegial and and entrepreneurial like this? Or what made that happen?
0: Yeah, I think without our our statewide organization, the Electric Cooperatives of Mississippi, led by Michael Callahan, probably would have never got the the law passed. And we certainly would have never uh, got this CARES money. It was really Michael and his relationship with the Lieutenant Governor, uh, Delbert Hoseman, who were working hand-in-hand hand to try to solve this problem. Our lieutenant governor and our speaker both understand the need for this. Through those conversations, and, and I give Michael Callahan the credit because he's the one that said, hey, if, if you give us some money, we'll match it. And he got an agreement from all the cooperatives. And and we went in, and, and that uh, original meeting with the um, Senate was open to uh, AT and T uh, and cable associations. We were the only one that, that had a plan that was ready to be worked, and that said we would gladly put our money where our mouth was. Which I just told you, we have a fifteen point three million dollar project that we're getting six million dollar grant for. So obviously, we're more than than matching uh, what is being offered. So yes, it was it was really a um, a good public private. Group coming together to try to solve this problem, and coming up with an innovative solution to be able to uh, to get us started, if you would say, with some of this grant money. But yes, I, I would. I really would. Uh, you know, want to say that our our statewide organization has really led all the way through from getting the law passed to getting this grant opportunity.
3: Chris, I think you hit on something really important there, which probably is probably by accident. <laughs> oh no, uh, you're, again, I, you, you are a communities first kind of guy. That these were local communities going to their state legislature, uh, to their governor, to their lieutenant governor, who in turn was receptive to what they were proposing. How's that for a revolution?
2: Yeah, it makes you believe in, in democratic government. I, you know, I mean, I think everyone um, across the country loses faith from time to time. And um, and this is the sort of thing that I'm, I'm desperate to see. I hope we see more of it. Uh, but I, I do want to clarify, Ron. Um, so if I piece together different things that you've said, it means that you're taking basically um, a little more than a one-third grant to build out the highest quality network to the most rural part of your, of your territory. And that's, I think a remarkable in and of itself.
0: I couldn't say it better myself. That's exactly what we're doing.
2: So, I mean, it's just, I think it's a reminder from all the times that John and I have talked about the money that has been wasted <laughs> so far with foolish plans, uh, low expectations, and, and being forced on the wrong entities. Ron, I, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for taking the time today. Um, I, I wish you luck and we're uh, really looking forward to seeing uh, Mississippi being the first gigabit state. And there's a lot of people who are bragging about it, but here we see folks that are planning it and making it happen.
0: All right. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being on today.
1: Thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks, Chris. That was Christopher talking with Ron Barnes and John Chambers. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at community nets. Follow muninetwork.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast.